0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I am Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And the Oregon Ducks just landed yet again a four-star offensive lineman. What comes next? What does this mean for the program's future? And who could be next to commit to the Ducks? All coming up on this Odds and Audibles podcast. Before we dive into the show, I want to remind you guys that you can subscribe right now to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month, nine ninety five thereafter. that. You get inside scoop. You get access to people like Eric, our coworker, Kevin Wade, myself, national, regional recruiting analysts like Greg Biggins, Steve Wiltfong, Blair and Willow, Brandon Huffman. The list goes on and on, and the benefits of joining DuckTerritory.com go on and on and on. So I highly encourage you guys to check us out. If you can, if you can afford to subscribe to us, do so. You won't regret it. Uh, we had someone join today when the day we recorded this podcast and they instantly said the same thing on the message board. So, uh, dive into that. All right. Eric over the earlier this week, the Ducks landed a verbal commitment from four star offensive tackle Jonah Miller. Um, He is the 267th best player in the country regardless of position. He's the 25th best offensive tackle in the country, and he's also the 5th best player in the state of Arizona. And if if you're wondering, let's start there. Oregon now holds the verbal commitment of the number one, the number two, and the number five player in the state of Arizona. That's got to be – I can't imagine Oregon ever doing that before since – the eyeball recruiting um, Pretty pretty good run in the state of Arizona for, for the Ducks right now
0: No kidding And we should note that All three of these players have been committed Fairly recently Obviously Miller and Bram Walden The top rated player in Arizona Also the top rated offensive tackle um, In the state And then Ty Thompson, the quarterback Those, those players have committed fairly recently um, Walden in the last week or so as well So Oregon or really doing good work in Arizona And that's an area where I don't want to say they've missed out in the past because you can certainly run through a number of really highly regarded Arizona prospects on the roster. And you can look at who might be the quarterback this year, this year, Tyler Shuck, another kid from Arizona originally. But I think what you're seeing right now is I agree with you, Matt. I don't think I can think of a time where Oregon has had this much success in the state of Arizona. Um, and that's a really big thing because Arizona typically does produce a lot of big-time talent. And we should note from a Pac-12 perspective, Arizona, Arizona State haven't been very good at holding this talent in state. So the fact that Oregon is able to keep some of these kids on the West Coast, and I don't know if Walden and Thompson or Miller would have all left the footprint had they not committed to Oregon. I think more than likely at least a couple of them would have ended up at Pac-12 schools. But for Oregon to have some success down there, like you said, um, it's really good for, for obviously for Oregon in terms of developing that pipeline down there, and I think good for the conference in terms of keeping players from that state out West because you just look at the last couple of cycles and whether it be SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big Twelve schools, that's where a lot of these top-rated players from the state of Arizona have ended up at. Um, good to see Oregon and some of the conference having a little more success in a state like that.
1: If you're curious, uh, the number third, the number three player in the state of Arizona is Quentin Somerville at defensive end. He's kind of projected to go to Michigan right now out of Sagaro High School, uh, and then the fourth best player in the state is Denzel Burke. He's an athlete, can play both sides of the football. Oregon is recruiting Burke. He is being recruited as a defensive back. He's one of their top targets there. And Oregon's in his, you know, final group right now. So Oregon is in a position where, if best case scenario, they could end up with four of the five best players in the state of Arizona for the 2021 recruiting class. Now that they have Jonah Miller, they, they have Ty Thompson, and they have Bram Walden, uh, Denzel Burke is kind of that, that quartet. Uh, that fourth player of that group that could come to Oregon and it, it could be a pretty good day in the state of Arizona for the Ducks. But, uh, let's, let's look at this class as a whole now. Ducks have eight verbal commitments. They're 16th in the country. They're second in the Pac 12. Uh, their average ranking score and, and I, I feel like Eric, a broken record saying this, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, quality over quantity and you look at the recruiting rankings from a national level and Oregon has a, a, a top six class per recruit, meaning 24-7 sports has an average ranking per recruit on, if you go to team rankings. So they, they take into account every single recruit that they have, uh, that each school has committed. They take their scores for each individual recruit, add them all up, divide them by the amount of commitments, and you get your average recruit ranking score. And programs like Ohio State and North Carolina and Clemson, and USC, they, and LSU, they're in the top 10, and they have really good team score rankings. So that's literally just adding up as many commitment points as you have, and that's the number you get. That's how the team rankings are created. But they also have good average you know per recruit ranking scores as well, meaning they're getting quality recruits, and they have a lot of them. Programs like Tennessee – or a program like Minnesota or Iowa or Michigan or Miami or Maryland or Penn State are, these are all schools that are ahead of Oregon in the team rankings simply because they have more verbal commitments than Oregon does. Their per recruit average is not even close to what Oregon is. The Ducks are in the top six in a per recruit average. They have a 92.79. And just to, to compare that, that's a whole point ahead of the the best class in school history two years ago. It's almost three full points ahead of last year's recruiting class from a recruiting yanking average. So Oregon right now is, they have eight verbal commitments, which is a good number. They've got a good amount of, of, of the class. They're about halfway, almost halfway full now. And yet every, it's, it's pretty remarkable, Eric. Seven out of the eight commitments Oregon has are four-star prospects.
0: I don't think I can remember a time when Oregon had that kind of ratio. Now, obviously, it's early on in the class. Eight commitments is not very many if you want to compare it to where some of the other classes are nationally. But um, it is a, yeah, it, I mean, and we should know. Jackson Light, I don't know if we've said this on the podcast yet because it's just happened recently. Jackson Light, one of the commitments was bumped to a four-star as well um, by the composite based upon a ranking from another website. So, yeah, seven out of eight. Three offensive linemen are four stars in this class. Um, You know, we'll talk about that in a second as well because this this is on paper going to be the best offensive line class in Oregon program history and probably going to be on – it's going to be tough for very many programs to surpass it nationally this year. And if you want to look at the by-recruit average to kind of compare where Oregon is at nationally, like the schools that have a better by-recruit average are like Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, Georgia. Those are the types of schools that are above Oregon and those schools are obviously ranked a little bit more highly, although Georgia's behind them because they have fewer commitments in Oregon, but if Oregon is able to continue to add prospects like the ones that are landing, and they're on a hot streak right now with these four-star prospects, and obviously that's basically all they've been landing, they can really make up some ground in the in the total rankings as well. You know, you look at, they're at 16th right now, they're not that many points behind being close to being in the top 10. You're about 30 points behind that. That would be a, a couple of A couple more commitments to like players like Walden and Miller. If they were to add those type of players, um, you know, and we we can talk about later about who some of those guys might be, but let's say they add two more four-star recruits. They are borderline top ten. They might even be in the top ten. I don't have the class calculator information put in, and we'd have to be specific about who we entered to figure that out. But there's, it's not that much room for them to be a top ten class. And you look at. Even if they add two more players that are four stars, they get to a top ten spot. They only have ten commitments at that point. There's still room to add so many more players. So the ceiling on this class is so, so high because of, like we were saying before, the caliber of average recruit in this class is unparalleled from an Oregon perspective. And you're right. this And that's why this class, on paper at least, has potential to be the best that Oregon has had because they're already tracking ahead. They just need to get some more commitments and the way things are going. And with the, I mean, we can talk about some of the guys later on that Oregon is in on. Um, There are a lot of these top four star and even five star recruits that Oregon has eyes on and and probably a pretty decent chance of landing.
1: All time perspective. You want to look at where this class is helping Oregon develop. Uh, Eric, it's coming obviously clear to me and I think to you as well and, and to anyone that's really dialed in on Oregon football recruiting uh, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year basis is that under Mario Cristobal, they are morphing into one of the best offensive lines in the country. They are going to be physical. They are going to be huge. They are going to be athletic uh, and they are going to sign some of the best prospects in the country and in the, in the region to, to play at their school. And they are kind of turning into the de facto landing spot for the West region's top players. I mean, you brought it up. We were briefly talking about this before we started recording the show. But Oregon, right now, is in a position where they, if if they land Kingsley, sell Mattia, the number one ranked offensive lineman out West who has 11 crystal balls placed, all 11 of them say Oregon, meaning if you're not familiar with the crystal ball, that, that is our analysts, our insiders are, are predicting where he goes to, to school and all 11 myself included have him pegged to go to Oregon. Um, if they land him as expected, they would have what three, the three best tackles in the pack 12 in this cycle.
0: Three of the top four um, this cycle with with the, with the collection they have, um, and that's and, and the other players from the state of Colorado. And that's not to say that Oregon couldn't have recruited, but Colorado hasn't traditionally been an area they really have recruited very aggressively. In. Like players like Adrian Jackson have played there, and there but others in the past, but um, typically they they focus in other parts of the, of the region. But yeah, e- even with that, three of the top four offensive tackle recruits on the West Coast going to Oregon, and, and you talk about what the long term benefits of of signing these guys are. Well, first off, it's huge cuz you're getting the best of the best and you you I'm sure you asked Mario Cristobal at the end of this, they're going to say they pro- if they get Kingsley, they're probably going to say we got the three top offensive tackles on our board. Um and that's huge. And the other part is you're eliminating the possibility of other schools from getting players like this. Um you look at USC who was in on Miller and some and other other prospects Oregon is recruiting at this position. They have not had a ton of success on the offensive line recently. Oregon's ability to go out and sign these guys and land these players makes it more difficult for for them to have success on the offensive line. That means when Oregon plays them, theoretically, Oregon should have a little bit more success against them on the offensive line. You think about other schools in the conference. So Oregon's ability to just dominate one position group not only benefits them, but also sort of weakens the caliber of player at other schools around the conference. I mean, you think about what Stanford has been on the offensive line for a decade or so. Um, Oregon is starting to not starting, they are taking that mantle away from Stanford in terms of being the program that will go out, get the top offensive linemen, and we're starting to see that already uh, play out on the field, and that's despite the fact that really last year, that that roster on the offensive line, only Penny Sewell was a Mario Cristobal recruit, the rest of those guys are players that were from the previous staff, so uh, when we see all this stuff unfold and these top two recruits come together, I think the the ceiling is really, really high for for what this can mean long term.
1: Just a comparison's sake, uh, before we look at the long term perspective of, or, or the, the film review of Jonah Miller, um, since the 2018 cycle started from a recruiting perspective, the USC Trojans have signed three players or landed verbal commitments. So we're counting, real, real quick, we're counting the 2018, 19, 20, and the current 2021 recruiting cycles. Over those four cycles, the Trojans have a program that notoriously have been known for having some of the best offensive linemen in the country every single year. They have signed just three four-star offensive linemen during those four cycles. The Ducks, with Jonah Miller now in the fold, and this coincides with Mario Cristobal and his arrival as head coach at Oregon, they now have nine verbal commitments or signed offensive linemen that are four stars or better since 2018. Wow. That that's mind-boggling, mm-hmm. and I, I I think that tells you a shift that's going on right now out west, and the talent that's wanting to you know play with the elite coaching and play with the elite players, and that along the offensive line, and that's turning into Oregon because like I said, that could go to ten with Kingsley Sowamitia committing to the Ducks. That, that, you know if, if that happens, uh, you know that that number is going to grow potentially even more this year. Uh, and there's a couple four-star offensive guards that are that are looking at Oregon as well that, that that they could be tacking on to that number. So pretty pretty remarkable stuff from a recruiting perspective for the ducks. And uh we're seeing I think if if you eliminate Penne Sewell from from the scenario because he will not most likely be on the Oregon roster for the twenty twenty one football season, Oregon will have nine of the program's 25 highest-rated offensive line players ever to commit or sign with the Ducks on the roster at one point in time. Uh, the, the lowest guy would be TJ Bass, a, a senior, who, who would be a senior in 2021. Uh, and then the highest, obviously, uh, would be Jonah Tuwanu, who would be a redshirt sophomore going into that year. Panay Sewell would be number one if he comes back for his senior year, but none of us are really kind of expecting that. Um Eric, watching Jonah Miller's film here for a second, let's, let's break this down. What, what stood out to you?
0: The first thing is the frame at 6'8", 285 pounds. I mean, that's like prototypical offensive tackle. Um and he's not only 6'8", 285 pounds, which again, like that's, that's the, if you're creating an offensive tackle, that's a pretty good place to start with that kind of height, that kind of weight, um, the way he carries himself. But he's got really long arms as well, which is obviously really, really important in terms of um, everything you're doing it with blocking, you know, you want to have a long reach and he has that. And he, I think he uses his hands pretty well. I think, Um, and this is something that maybe you see with, with bigger offensive lineman taller in general that he'll need to work on is his pad level. Maybe he plays a little too um, upright at times. At the same time, he's really powerful for a guy who, you know, I was just looking at this earlier, listed at 285, maybe he weighs a little bit more just in terms of how he carries his weight. But either way, the way he's able to win battles, the line of scrimmage, with his legs and his upper body, I find really impressive. I think, um, maybe he, again, maybe he doesn't have quite that explosive first step, that elite athleticism that maybe make him more of a right tackle as opposed to a left tackle. I don't know exactly how they're going to plan to use him, but, and they'll have options. We should say as well. I mean, you look down the line here, um, there's no clarity about 2021 and beyond who's going to be playing left tackle after Penny Sul graduates, or we should say goes pro, um, so Miller could be somebody that that battles for that spot. There's a couple other players, obviously, too, even players in this class, like a guy like Brian Alden Kingsley, if he ends up at Oregon, a Jonah Toyano, who you mentioned, um, maybe a Stephen Jones, who probably plays right tackle this year, could move to left, but Miller will have a chance, I think, to play at Oregon at some point, and I kind of think right tackle over left tackle, it would be my, based upon what I watch, is kind of what my preference would be, but either way, you've got someone with, I think, extremely high upside, and he might not be that, immediate ready-made prospect that some other players have, but in terms of someone to build off of, and if you take what Cristobal's track record has been with development, I think this is a player who has a really, really high ceiling, and if Cristobal can get the most out of him, which I think we're all confident he can be, he can, um, I think Miller can be a really, really good offensive tackle at Oregon and potentially be a starter for two to three years, again, depending upon how he's able to compete with some other really elite tackle talent on the roster.
1: One thing we should note is Jonah Miller does play guard at the high school level. Yeah. Um, he, so that, I think that, that makes him just even more valuable because if tackle doesn't work out, he has experience already playing in the interior, and the Ducks could move him inside if that needs to happen.
0: And that's a good point too, Matt, and, and that's something yeah, I failed to mention. You go watch his his tape, and it's all at right guard, which is surprising because, like I said, he's got prototypical, I think, offensive tackle size. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe this is something where you end up starting multiple guys that were that kind of have that offensive tackle build and size and athleticism, and maybe that's a benefit for him at right guard. I don't know. I mean, I think, and that's the thing you get really excited about in terms of putting together this offensive line. I'm sure Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal and everybody involved over there is is you know really starting to think of how this could all play out because you're, you're going to have a roster in 2021 and beyond where you've got a bunch of players who could play a lot of different spots, I and mean, then it's just mixing and matching. It's almost a little bit like what we're seeing with the women's basketball with all these elite recruits and prospects they have on their roster of like, man, at some point here, Kelly Graves is going to have to make some tough decisions about how this all fits together. I think the same thing is going to happen on the offensive line. It's a really good problem to have.
1: All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to
0: the Otson Audible's podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. All right. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame.
1: Eric Scopel is with me as always. We're discussing the commitment of Jonah Miller and kind of what plays out and what this means from a, a class perspective historically and kind of down the road. And, and also now it's kind of, you know, well, what happens next for, for Oregon along the offensive line and we just saw a cycle where five offensive linemen graduated from Morgan. Uh, it could potentially even be six if George Moore doesn't get his sixth year of acad- academic eligibility or athletic eligibility approved by the NCAA. Um, he is petitioning for a sixth year and be a senior during the 2020 football season. Um, right now, Eric, how do you look at just the makeup of the current roster? In um, and, and terms of the health, do you feel like there's a, a good balance of, of upperclassmen and underclassmen?
0: Yeah, it's a complicated question um, because the seniors that you have on the roster, George Moore, who, like you said, might not even really be on the roster this fall, that's something that – Remains to be seen. Uh, We haven't had any clarity there. We've we've tried to get it, but I don't know if there is clarity in general right now. Um, And then Sam Putasi, who really hasn't been a contributor, but who we should say, at least in the spring, um, was pushing to to start at left guard. Um, So that's the kind of what you have in terms of seniors. So you're not. It's not like this last year where you lose all of these really experienced seniors who played a bunch. Um, It's a senior class that if it's one or two players is going to be one or two players that didn't have long-term, I guess, involvement on the offensive line. And then you look at the junior class, and outside of Penae Sewell, none of those guys have really played at all. I mean, Malisela Amabe Laulu was redshirting last year. Alex Forsythe has been kind of a <laughs> in and out of the roster, in and out of the rotation uh, reserve. I think people are really excited about his versatility and, and what he can do. And then TJ Bass is a newcomer, and those are your juniors. So three out of your four juniors are guys – that really haven't performed or, or really produced much. And that means that if you want to take it a step further, that's like five out of your six juniors and seniors that are in that same spot. So Oregon is in a place here where they're not really going to lose a lot of their top talent, I should say, or proven talent here not for a little bit. Um, and you look at the sophomore class and the freshman class, the same kind of thing. I mean, there really isn't outside of Penn State on the roster much proven talent. So I, I think that is a positive thing in terms of like when they are able to set whatever this offensive line might look like. And it could be an offensive line, in theory, which could start three or four of these juniors and seniors. Um, It it could be a group that Oregon has in place for a couple of years at least. And if some of these younger players went out and, say, maybe a John Atalianu wins a job maybe somewhat unexpectedly, or or maybe a Dawson Yaramillo pushes and and is unexpectedly able to win a job, it could be a a thing where Oregon really, aside from Penny Sewell in 2021, doesn't really have much turnover on the offensive line, which could be kind of similar to what we saw with this last uh, group here, where you have a lot of um, – you don't have a lot of turnover and you have a lot of continuity up front. So I think that's where things could be really exciting if you want to look at just kind of what the offensive line looks like right now.
1: Yeah, and, and then it turns into how many guys does this class sign in 2021. Um, I, I think – I think five is kind of the right number. Do do you you see that being too much for the the current makeup of the roster? I I I don't. I think it's maybe one too many. But knowing who's still on the board, I think five would be the target best case.
0: Yeah, and it's where it gets complicated here because you currently have, I, I think, 13 scholarship players on the roster. By the way, we're not even mentioning Logan Sagapalu, who's another player who is a little bit down the line here um, going through his Mormon mission. Um, still has a year to go for that, but uh, yeah, five would be a, a decent number uh, for sure in terms of, You'd have a lot of young, I mean, they just, they have five players that are currently freshmen or redshirt freshmen on the roster that uh, that Oregon, you know, already has. And if you were to take, assume that some of those players are also going to redshirt, you could have like seven or eight redshirt or true freshmen on the roster in 2021. That's a large number. The, rea- the other reality, though, is at some point some of these players are going to transfer, medically retire, etc., and it'll open up a little bit more. But, I mean, just on paper, that seems like a somewhat large number. At the same time, things will get sorted out, and I think if there is an area that you're comfortable taking a couple more players, it would be on the offensive line knowing that you're going to get the maximum out of those players and that Cristobal is, again, going to make that position, I think, really successful regardless of who's on the roster. But if you can add a couple of these more highly touted guys and they develop the way we think they can – The ceiling, to me, um, feels extremely, extremely high going forward. Um, Matt, obviously Oregon has landed commitments in each of the last three weeks. It followed a point where I know we're recording podcasts where we're saying, what's wrong with Oregon recruiting? (laughs) Well, turns out nothing. Um, Do you expect this kind of trend to continue, and who maybe are a couple of players fans should be aware of that might be the next player to commit?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think it kind of goes back to our discussion of, you know, how many do they sign? Because there are a couple players out there that I view are you have to take no matter what. And they have three of those players that are out there, most notably being Kingsley, So, and Matia. And he is an offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. And he is also, I believe, their most highest-rated prospect on the board. That's still uncommitted. And he's also the most likely player to commit to Oregon, uh, among this group. So I would probably say Kingsley is the, the first player that's most likely to commit to the offensive line. But there's legit now leverage that Oregon's coaching staff has and, and it's not a negative kind of leverage. It's literally it's it's them being honest and it's them being true to their pros, you know, to the, to the prospects they are recruiting. And that is, hey, we have one spot left, and it could maybe grow to two because we want Kingsley Satsuma Matia to to play offensive tackle for us. We're saving him a spot no matter what happens. But if he commits before you do, you lose your spot because he fills that one uh, allocated spot. But if, if, hey, if Jimmy Smith, if, if you want to commit now and you want to secure your spot, we'll take you because Kingsley hasn't committed yet and we, we have some flexibility to, to kind of go in and, and push the number to five offensive linemen. But we, you know, if, if he joins the group, we're, we're cool at four if anyone, if, if he beats if everybody else to commit. um, So I, I think that's going to be the battle that's going to play out here is does another offensive lineman that's out there, that's highly rated, does he look at the situation and say, you know what? I, I kind of really want to go to Oregon and I feel, I've been feeling that way for a while. I just kind of wanted to visit some other schools or maybe I wanted to get out there first before I officially did it. But if, this means I lose my spot because Kingsley could be committing any day. I'm not saying he is, but this is the scenario. I could see someone else jumping on board before Kingsley does, and then Oregon all of a sudden now signs five players. I think that's how they get to five, and I think that's the only way someone beats Kingsley uh, to making his verbal commitment to Oregon whenever that happens, should that happen. All right. That's going to do it for us on this Aughts and Audibles podcast, recapping the impact of Jonah Miller's verbal commitment to the Ducks. Again, another four-star offensive lineman has committed to Oregon, and the class is inside the top 20 in the country. Their per-recruit average is in the top 10, and the class is shaping up, like Eric has said, to finish best class in school history even with the lower than expected numbers of a, you know, a 25 man class being closer to more like 20 or 21 for the 2021 recruiting class. So a ton of good news. We have more information on the verbal commitment and, and what mean, what it means. And we got some more names to watch. Five names who could commit next, not being offensive, none of them are offensive linemen, uh, outside of one player. So a ton of, ton of buzz right now on the Oregon football program and you can read it all on duckterritory.com. Eric Scopo, myself, Matt Brame, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Adios, amigos.